Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Uh, all right, let's just jump right in. Uh, last time we talked about The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, and we're going to talk about a movie that we have to talk about if we're going to talk about Martin Scorsese. We're going to talk about a movie called Goodfellas, a movie that I'm sure you've seen on cable or seen at somebody's house. It's a, a wonderful film, uh, a real classic and what what's interesting about the film is that it's not like any other mafia film. It's It doesn't tell a story so much as it presents a lifestyle. And that was what Marty was really trying to do with the film. He was trying to present a lifestyle, a lifestyle that he was raised around, a lifestyle that he understood to a certain extent. And and, and that was the thing that attracted him to the material in the first place. The, the book Wise Guys, which was adapted into the movie Goodfellas, maybe it's just Wise Guy, anyway... It unpacks a life. It doesn't tell a story per se. And so that that encouraged Marty to to not just make another mob movie because he'd already done Mean Streets and he'd already done Raging Bull, which isn't a mob movie per se, but it has uh, large elements of mafia in the story. And so he was interested in showing what these people do and not actually trying to tell a story per se. So this put Marty in a place that he's actually very comfortable in being is outside the box. And that's what, that's what I'd like to talk about this time around. I'd like to talk about ways that Marty thought outside the box to create this classic. And it's probably because he did that that it stands up so well even today. So we're going to start with the writing process. So he and Nicholas Pileggi, and Pileggi was the guy who did all the interviews and put together the book Wise Guy. He and Pileggi independently selected scenes that they liked from the novel. So they went off on their own and said, well, this, this should be in the movie, and this should be in the movie, and this should be in the movie. And when they came together, they realized that they had chosen separately pretty much the same pieces to make up the movie. And then he said, okay, so this is basically what we're going to do. I need these scenes to be in the movie, uh, so go write it. And don't, don't feel the need to stick to any traditional form in the storytelling. Just kind of move through these scenes, and we'll get to where we need to get to. And Marty, every time Pileggi would bring him a draft, Marty would, would take it and strip out as much transitional material as possible and just go from sequence to sequence or from scene to scene as quickly as he possibly could. He really kept the pace of it moving, which in a sense reflected the lifestyle. So, for example, there's a scene where Ray Liotta, who plays the main character Henry Hill, gets married to Rocco's character. So we go straight from the wedding to... The results of the wedding and the initial results of the wedding are they're still living in Lorraine Brocco's character's parents' house, you know, and he's not coming home every night and she's okay with it, but her parents are freaked out by this life that he's leading. And so instead of instead of showing all these scenes of them being married together in those first few weeks or whatever and then seeing kind of the dissolution of the marriage early on, we just go straight to the important part. We just go from the wedding to that first scene of real, real uh, tension. And it keeps keeps everything moving nicely. Um, another thing that they did was was they definitely encouraged improv, and they tried to, and 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 they had everybody bring bring forward any ideas that they had. In fact, at one point, Joe Pesci tells tells Marty a story about about being you know hanging out with some friends of his, and and this guy was telling a really funny story. And Joe said to his friend, he said, "Ah, oh, you know, you're really funny," and he said. What do you mean I'm funny? Like funny, funny how? You know, what's so funny about me? Like I'm a clown. I'm here to amuse you, and all those sorts of things. And that ended up being one of the most famous scenes in the movie, where Ray Liotta does that to Joe Pesci's character, where Ray Liotta says, "Ah, you're a funny guy," you know. 
and Joe Joe starts questioning him on it and like you know pretending to take offense taking offense to to what he's saying or at least putting that act on you know and so and so Ray Liotta's only way to get out of that is to just is just you know throw it back at him and say ah come on you know get out of here and and Joe Pesci responds with uh, ah I almost had him I almost had him you know that but that's a classic scene a scene that's 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 actually pretty integral not necessarily to the story but to what's going on in that world and the reason Marty included that is because it so well represents his understanding of that world where everything can turn on a dime you say the wrong thing at the wrong moment you're dead and that was Joe Pesci's understanding of the world, Bobby Nero's understanding of the world, Henry Hill's understanding of the world. Everybody who understood that world, there was, yeah, absolutely, that's it right there. In fact, Paul Servino tells a story where, where some mob boss was asked, you know, you know, are any of those movies like really, really realistic? And he said, you know, that one scene in Goodfellas, you know, that funny how scene in Goodfellas, that's that's pretty real. And that's why that scene's in the in the film. And what's important about that scene is how it's shot specifically, because because Marty intentionally shot it in a medium shot and put other people in the frame, other other Goodfellas, other wise guys, other mob guys in the frame, so that the pressure of that moment could be felt, because everyone's keyed in on it. And on top of that, if Ray Liotta doesn't respond correctly. He may survive the night, like Joe Pesci's character might not kill him, but he's not going to survive the world, because if he backs out of that, you know, if he, you know, if he comes out a coward in that moment, then no one's going to put their faith in him again. So he's dead. He's dead two ways. If he, if, if he does, you know, if he, if he doesn't play that just right. And and, and talking about the shooting of the movie. The movement is all designed to reflect the characters. So there's this sort of grace and movement and fluidity, you know, to the early years where everything's going great. Followed by falling apart, especially in that last day. Uh, there's, there's a sequence that they, that they always refer to as the last day of the gangster or something like that. A wise guy's last day, something like that. Where it's not nearly as fluid. It's very choppy, jagged. is designed to reflect the panic and the paranoia and how... Everything when you're coked out is, I guess, I, I, I don't really know, but Marty said, uh, you know, when you're coked out, everything's important. You know, the tomato sauce and the helicopter following you are of the same importance. And then when that stops, everything else stops. The camera becomes much more static, much more calm. The movement isn't nearly as, as, as strong as it was before. And, and and it's that it's that reflection that informed, you know, the famous steady cam shot through through the Copacabana, through the club. They go down the stairs into the kitchen and you know, and into the club and out to the floor. And Marty says that shot was designed to show the sort of seduction of the lifestyle because it's it's the first date like first real date that Henry is taking, you know, this this girl on. Gosh, why can I not remember her name? It was the first date that, that, that Henry's taking, you know, Karen on. And there's this sort of seduction of the lifestyle. He's sort of showing off a little bit, kind of wooing her. And that's why that Steadicam move is designed that way. It's designed to be sort of seductive and, 
and sort of you know, taking everything in just as she is, you know, before everything falls apart later on, you know. So, so Marty had some pretty, some pretty typical for him at least, maybe not even typical, but you know, sort of very, very impressionistic or expressionistic, probably impressionistic, I think is the term, uh, storytelling techniques that he used, you know. But still, still pushing the boundaries, still pushing himself outside the box. You know, some scenes are shot, you know, very little coverage, like the Copacabana scene, and then some scenes are shot, you know, shot with a lot of coverage. But everything is designed to create almost a documentary feel, and not a, not a true documentary feel. I think when a lot of people hear that, they think handheld camera. There's not a lot of handheld camera in this movie, but because he, because it's not about holding to a traditional narrative form, it's about it's about presenting a way of life. It's very, uh, it's uh, it's almost anthropological, right? So, so the point was was to try to present things in a way that 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 kept people focused on the lifestyle, not on necessarily the story. You know, so there's certain things that that they did to to keep that going. There was freeze framing, for for example. Freeze framing comes out of documentary, you know, that out of the documentary tradition, but it also comes out of the the French New Wave tradition. Uh, most specifically, Marty always pinpoints Francois Truffaut's uh, Jules et Jim, or Jules and Jim, uh, which is a movie from the 60s. Uh, you may or may not recall, Francois Truffaut's the one who interviewed Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, he was a film critic and a filmmaker in his own right, um, part of the famous French New Wave movement uh, that went through uh, in the 60s, and, and, and I pulled a lot of, uh, quite a bit of information out of that interview for, for last semester with Hitch. Anyway, but, but the freeze framing is something that he pulled from, from, both, from both traditions, from, from documentary and from, and from French New Wave. Um, and specifically, uh, and especially early on, it was used in moments to emphasize sort of the formational times in Henry Hill's life, uh, specifically, um, you know, take a moment to kind of take it all in. He's like, this is what's happening. This is what we're, you know, this is this is a moment that was important to him. Uh, but the voiceover was also key because not only, uh, because again, much like the VO, not only, or excuse me, much like the freeze frames, not only does it come out of the documentary, but also the, the f- French New Wave. And that was crucial because it wasn't, it wasn't used to tie moments of the story together. It wasn't used to kind of move us from one point to the next. It was actually used to inform us about the characters, to add a sort of a sort of flavoring or a sort of coloring to what was going on. Um, and that was also used that way specifically in the French New Wave and very specifically in Jules and Jim. So even though the actual words are pulled straight from the book and the interviews, the use of them was done in such a way to to add an extra layer of 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 flavor really to the film because again it's not about telling a story it's about presenting a life and 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 that's really where 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 I think Marty's creativity comes out and where where his thinking outside the box is is so crucial is is he was blending things that that didn't really go together at the time um to create something that that's still very new and fresh today. Um, in fact, the use of voiceover from multiple characters, also pulled from pulled from Jules and Jim, 
you know, not a typical American way to tell a story, but very effective. And it's it's one of the things that keeps the film fresh for an audience of today. The last thing I want to get to is just kind of comparing Hitch to Marty, because both of these directors, we've talked about the idea of thinking outside the box. And I want to keep encouraging you in that direction. But I, I, I also kind of want to show you how 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 that that kind of thinking has played out in two very different directors. See, Hitch was concerned with avoiding the cliche. Hitch didn't want to repeat what everybody else had done. So he was interested in taking audience expectations and then smashing them. Uh, we talked about that with um, with North by Northwest with the car and then the plane or whatever. Um, you know, go back and listen to the North by Northwest. Uh, class session if you if you need a refresher on that or if you haven't heard it marty was interested in reinvention and i think some of that comes from being being two different generation of filmmakers right hitch was building film and marty came after after that generation and built it up and was interested in rebuilding it so there's this sort of there's this sort of marty starts borrowing from everybody so that he can create something that's that's very new and fresh today. And part of it was a conceit on his part. Part of it was he didn't want to repeat himself. And, to, you know, I understand that. But Marty's concern with reinventing film and pulling from, pulling from as many sources as he possibly could, because Marty watched a lot of foreign film. He watched a lot of films that were significantly older than even him. Because he was a film nerd, he was a film buff. He, you know, he's a an addict. He's he starts pulling from everybody, and starts mixing and matching things and putting some things together. And you know, that maybe maybe most people wouldn't even think go together, but that's one of the things that kept that's kept him relevant, and has kept a lot of his films in the public eye and has made them part of our part of our larger cultural identity even is he's a filmmaker who's not afraid to take chances. He's a filmmaker who's not afraid to think outside the box and think outside of what do normal filmmakers do, what's your average filmmaker going to do. But he's someone who's willing to push push the boundaries. He's someone who's willing to, to use his own perspective on things and to go with his gut instinct instead of somebody else's. Yeah, and sometimes that's burned him, and 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 we're going to talk about how how that's made it difficult for him at times um, in our next class session. Um, but but at the same time, I think it's really important. I think it's important that um, that that we try not to just present something that everybody else has done, um, because you're not pushing the art forward otherwise. And when I say pushing the art forward, I don't mean you have to reinvent, you know, the over-the-shoulder shot. I don't, I don't think that's the point at all. But, but, but you have a lot of tools at your disposal, and finding interesting ways to blend them, even if they're not new necessarily, if they're interesting, and they help serve serve the story that you're trying to tell. That's that's valuable. So. That's all I have for this this class session. Um, I want to thank you all for listening. If you want to reach out to the podcast, you can reach us at hitchcockuniversity at gmail.com. That's our email. There's also a Hitchcock University Facebook page and a Twitter page, uh, hitch underscore u as in university. 
In two weeks' time, we will talk about the film Cape Fear, starring Nick Nolte and Jessica Lane, and Bobby De Niro, of course. And then we're going to do Age of Innocence, and then we're going to get to Casino. At least I think we're going to get to Casino. Um, I'm hoping I can find something in Casino that's different than what I just mentioned. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of people who, who who don't like the film Casino because it, it, it is very repetitive in the sense that it, it is similar to Goodfellas in many situations. But um, but I really like the film, and, and I'm hoping I can... I can pull some something of value for us all when we get there. Uh, thanks again for listening, and I will talk to you in two weeks. Thanks. <laughs>